0: You know, I said earlier, and I'll say it a couple more times, so you're going to get sick of hearing it, but I don't know what your 2014 looked like. But, man, 2015 is upon us, and if last year was awesome, then I think this year you can just build on that, and it can be extra awesome. If last year was horrible, and guess what? It's a new day. It's a new year. You get to start a lot of things fresh. You get to kind of refocus your attention. I tweeted the other day, Uh, that I think really successful people kind of live every day the way that I do leading up to January 1st. Because man, those last four or five days of the calendar year, I'm reflecting, I'm thinking about all the things that I did in 2014, the things that I wish I would have done better, the things that I was really excited about, the things I was disappointed about. I'm refocusing my attention and my mind on what I want to do and want to be and You know, there's a lot of New Year's resolutions. Did anybody set any New Year's resolutions this year? Anybody want to raise your hand? So four people, that's awesome, way to go. We're a congregation of go-getters. I'm going to give you one more opportunity. Anybody set any New Year's resolutions this year? Okay, so six, all right, so we're good, all right. Um, Anybody kept those New New Year's resolutions in the first few days? You know, statistics will tell us that of the New Year's resolutions that are set prior to January 1st, about 90% of them are kept the first week. And then about 80% are kept the first two weeks. And then less than 70% are kept the first month. But if you make it the first month, then there's a pretty high percentage of people that make it the first six months. About 50% of those that make it the first month with their resolutions actually make it the first six months. But even if you make it six months, do you know that the average a number of people that set New Year's resolutions that actually accomplished those New Year's resolutions on December the 31st of the year that they set it on January 1st is less than 4%. Less than 4%. I think there's a lot of reasons, and we're not even going to get in those things today. But I think what we do is we just kind of set these general, you know, I wish I could do these things better. I wish I wouldn't do those things as much. And we're very general instead of very specific. So I tried this year to set very specific New Year's resolutions. Instead of just saying, hey, I just want you to know I want to lose some weight and I want to save some money, which I could probably lose some weight by not spending some money at some of the places that I spend money. But instead of doing that, I set some specific Goals that had specific numbers attached to them. Maybe some weight goals. I got to get to a certain weight first to maintain it. But then to save some certain amounts of money, I want to set a certain amount of money I'm going to save every month. There's some things that I want to do. I want to spend some time with some specific people that maybe I I felt like I didn't spend enough time with last year. But instead of just saying that, I actually put some numbers to that. I want to spend a certain number of, of specific days with a certain group Of people, and so I tried to add some specific numbers to some of the goals that I set. But you know, if you think about I want to lose weight, I want to save money, I want to spend time with family, most of those are centered around this one basic idea. The core value of most New Year's resolutions, if you really boil it down, is I want to do what I know is right. right. I want to do what I know to be the right thing to do. That's the core value of most New Year's resolutions if you think about it. Now, it may not fit perfectly in the specific New Year's resolution that you made for this year or that you've made in years past, but if you think about it if it's related to weight and health and working out and exercise or the way that you manage your money or the way that you spend your time, for the most part, the core value of New Year's resolutions is the idea that I want to do what I know is right to do. Because I know that I should exercise more. I know I shouldn't eat certain foods. I know I should spend my money a certain way and save my money a certain way. I know I should spend time with these people and not with these people. So I'm just going to do what I know is right to do. That's the core value of most New Year's resolutions. And if I could sum that up in one word, I would sum that up in the word wisdom. I think wisdom could even be defined the way that we just define that core value. Wisdom is doing what I know to be the right thing to do. If you think about the wisest people that you know, it just seems like they do what is the right thing to do all the time. I don't know how they do it. It's really frustrating, isn't it? Because you're agonizing over decisions, you're trying to figure out what to do, you're trying to figure out how to do this and how to do that, and, but these really wise people in your life, maybe it's a grandparent, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a spouse, like in my case, the wisest person I know, maybe whatever it is, and I'm not kidding, some of you laughed, but you, you're like, okay, what does a wise person do? They just do what is right, they just do what they know to be the right thing to do, that's wisdom, and so the core value of most of our New Year's resolutions and this idea of the definition of wisdom are the same thing. Just doing what I know to be the right thing to do. Over the next few weeks, we're going to just spend some time looking at this idea of wisdom. We're just going to look in a series that we're calling Words to Live By. We're going to look back at some ancient texts of Scripture. They're called the wisdom literatures. And so, if you're familiar with that part of the Scriptures, that's really where we're going to spend our time over the next few weeks. And we're going to look at some specific topics where we need wisdom wisdom in suffering, wisdom in love, wisdom in relationships, wisdom in life in general. And so we're going to look at that over the next few weeks. But when you think about wisdom, I even referenced it a little bit, you think a lot of times, I don't know about you, but a lot of the really wise people that I know are also old. And I don't know how you get that, but it seems like maybe wisdom and age kind of goes hand in hand. Ralph Waldo Emerson says, the years teach much which the days never knew. That's kind of poetic in the way that he says it, but it's the idea that maybe wisdom comes with the years instead of just the days and, and the shorter amounts of time because you experience more things and you apply those things. But getting older doesn't just mean getting wiser. I know some old people who are not wise at all. And here's what author Tom Wilson says. Wisdom doesn't necessarily come with age. Sometimes age just shows up all by itself. You know any people like that? And the Chinese philosopher Confucius, he says this. By three methods, we learn wisdom. First, by reflection, which is the noblest. Second, by imitation, which is the easiest. And third, by experience, which is the bitterest. I'm reading a book right now. I love to read, and I'm reading a book that was given to me over the Christmas break. It's called The Divine Mentor. It's by a pastor named Wayne Cordero, who pastors in Hawaii and and it's an incredible book it was given to me over the break for as a christmas present by by a family member and I, you know i love to read and this book specifically is one that is challenging me you know our staff reads books together from time to time i will kind of give them a book and i'll say hey start this book they love it when i do this by the way um i'll say hey start this book and we're going to just talk about this in the staff meetings over the next few weeks and months because i i love to read i, I was taught at a young age that leaders are readers and I want to be a leader. And as our staff, as we lead this campus, we want to be leaders. And so to do that, I believe we have to be readers. And so we read all kinds of books. We read leadership books. We read church growth books. We read personal books. We read personal growth books. We read, you know, challenging books and books that are easy to read. And so this is one that just heads up to the staff. We're going to be reading soon because I've been reading it and it's awesome. But the, the, the core value of this book, the, the, the one takeaway from this book is that we can utilize Scripture as as the the characters of Scripture, the people from within the stories of Scripture, as mentors in our lives. And we can read through those stories, and we can understand that they have something to teach us, because they're men and women, just like we're men and women, and they're walking through life. And sometimes we take away kind of the the personality of who they are and the uh, humanity of who they are as they walk through situations like you and I walk through situations, and we can see how they respond. And we can see that they did things that we want to emulate, and we can see that they did things we don't want to emulate, but we have the ability to learn from them. And and I ran across this quote as I was reading the book, and this is what he says. This is what Wayne Cordero says. He says, Life has given us two very effective teachers. Both are top-flight instructors, but neither comes cheap. While both are effective, both require something of us. We have to choose one or the other, and if we choose neither, the second will, have, will be chosen for us. The teachers are wisdom and consequences. We can learn a great deal from either teacher. I should warn you, however, of the huge difference in their instructional styles. While wisdom will amaze and delight us with her lessons, consequences will leave us breathless and not in a good way. The truth is consequences is by far the tougher teacher of the two. Do you want to know the biggest difference between consequences and wisdom? Wisdom teaches you the lesson before you make the mistake. On the other hand, consequences demand that you make the mistake first. A wise person sees consequences ahead of time and makes a change before he runs into the wall. A foolish person just runs into it. He'll have to experience it for himself before he'll learn. And if that's the way we live, we will not gain the wisdom necessary to run this race of our lives successfully there's so much goodness in there and I would encourage you to pick up this book if you like to read or you're looking for something that will challenge you it's called the divine mentor but when we think about these two teachers that he's referencing here you can probably think back in your own life to you know circumstances where you have kind of listened to the teaching of one or the other the teaching of, of wisdom that says, hey, I'm going to avoid hitting the wall. I'm going to avoid making the mistake before I even get there. I'm going to learn the lesson. I'm going to be disciplined. And I, I've, I've heard discipline defined as choosing what I want most over choosing what I want now. And so sometimes it requires discipline for us to say, hey, I'm just going to use wisdom here to avoid the mistakes, to avoid the wall. If you're like me, you've probably also been taught by consequences, Because you haven't listened to the voice of wisdom and you've gone that route and you have run into the wall, you've made the mistake, you've done the thing you didn't want to do, shouldn't have done, and on the other side of that, it cost you something. And now you have the opportunity to learn from the teacher consequences. I would much rather learn from wisdom than learn from consequences. Can I get an amen? You know, Ephesians chapter 5 is a great chapter of Scripture. It's written by the Apostle Paul to a group of people in Ephesus. And there's a lot of different uh, topics that he even deals with just in this one chapter of this one book. But in Ephesians 5, Paul talks to us about wisdom. And he says this beginning in verse 15 of Ephesians 5. He says, Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. He says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, I read that because we've known we were going to do this series for several months. So I I read that even before I got this book. But then I also, one more little snippet from the book I've been reading. This is what Pastor Cordero says. He says, in our beginning stages as a Christian, we will wrestle with right and wrong. And we should. We should. It will take our hearts and our minds some time to debate difficult and challenging issues and questions. But once these have been settled, we graduate. Most of us will not stumble over things like right and wrong in every situation, but will rather over those that are wise and unwise. The reality is this. What he's saying is in your early days of walking with the Lord or maybe just in your early days of making decisions for yourself, you are really wrestling with what's right and what's wrong. But I believe there comes a point, and maybe you and I can have a conversation where you can prove that this is not the case. I believe that even when we're doing wrong things, most, uh, almost every single time, we know it's wrong. So we're no longer wrestling with what's right and what's wrong. We begin wrestling with what's wise and unwise. It doesn't take out of the equation, is this something that's wrong? Because it is wrong in every circumstance. It's just the idea that I no longer am trying to determine if it's right or if it's wrong. I'm now trying to determine the application of saying, am I going to do this because it's the wise thing to do or am I not going to do this because it's the unwise thing to do and not whether it's right or whether it's wrong. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, this is the idea that for some of us, we never graduate from having to make decisions. We just graduate, if you will, from having to determine if something is right or if something is wrong and to determine is it wise or is it unwise. Asking different questions about the decisions that we're making to say, is it wise or is it unwise? What are the consequences if I choose to go down this road? Will this help me move further towards the goals of my life and the things that I have said that I'm about? If you could ask God any question, maybe it's some of the questions that you're trying to determine right now, right or wrong, wise or unwise. If you could ask him any question, what would you ask him? I mean, right now, you don't have to raise your hand. I won't call you out. I won't put you on the spot. But what, what's something that you would ask God if you could ask him anything? Would you ask him an answer to a question that you've been wrestling with? Would you ask him what's the wise thing to do in a certain situation? Maybe you would ask him for a new job. I know some of you have been praying about jobs over the last few weeks and months, and we've had an opportunity to walk with you through that. Maybe some of you that are single, you would, you would ask God for a husband. You'd ask him for a wife. Maybe for those that are married and you say, hey, I I would ask God for kids. We want children. And I know that there's several in the room that are praying for those kind of things. If you could ask God for anything and you knew he would do it, what would you ask him? Would you ask him for more money? What would you ask God for? There is a story in Scripture where this takes place. Where a man in Scripture gets the opportunity to ask God anything that he wants God says that he's actually going to grant whatever it is that this man asks. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 3. And it's the story of Solomon. And God has given Solomon the opportunity to ask of him anything that he wants, and God's going to grant it. And this is what Solomon does. He says, I want wisdom. I don't just want wisdom for one situation. I don't want you just to help me be wise in this one situation over here. I want this uh, overcompensating wisdom that will help me in every situation that I need as I govern the people that you have entrusted to me. And this is what God says in response in 1 Kings 3, beginning in verse 10. And God said to him, because you've asked for this and haven't grasped after a longer life or for riches or for the doom of your enemies, but you have asked for the ability to lead and govern well, I'll give you what you've asked for. I'm giving you a wise and mature heart. There's never been one like you before and there'll be no one after. And as a bonus, this is what I love about God. As a bonus, I'm giving you both the wealth and glory you didn't ask for. There's not a king anywhere who will come up to your mark. And if you stay on course, keeping your eye on the life map and the God signs as your father David did, I'll also give you long life. And listen to how the people respond in verse 28. The word got around. Everyone in Israel heard of the king's judgment and they were all in awe of the king, realizing that it was God's wisdom that enabled him to judge truly. I would love to think that given the choice of asking God for anything in the world that I would ask for wisdom, I would love to think that if God said, hey, what do you want? If I could give you anything, what would you ask me for? I would love to think right now that I would say, I want wisdom, I I want wisdom. Wisdom, but see, Solomon didn't actually call it wisdom. If you read, depending on the translation that you're reading, if you read what Solomon actually asked for, here's what he asked for according to the Message translation. It's called something different in several others. But here's what he asked for in verse nine. Here's what I want: Give me a God-listening heart, so I can lead your people well, discerning the difference between good and evil give me a god listening heart your translation may talk about it being give me discernment give me the ability to choose good from evil or right from wrong but he said give me a god listening heart and what god responds in verses 10 through 14 which we read is he says yeah i'm going to give you a wise and mature heart So there's something here about a God-listening heart being a wise and mature heart because that's what Solomon asked for and that's what God gave him. And that's not too different from what we read in Ephesians 5. This is what Paul is talking about. We read a little farther down in verses 15 through 17. Look at what Paul's talking about here in Ephesians 5 verses 8 through 10. Just a few verses above where we were talking about where he says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. This is what Paul says, for you were once darkness but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, give, uh, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And listen to this, and find out what pleases the Lord. Solomon said, give me a God-listening heart. And Paul said, find out what pleases the Lord. God said to Solomon, if I can give you anything, what would you want? And he said, I want a God-listening heart. And God says, I will give you a wise and mature heart. And Paul says, listen, find out what pleases the Lord. Don't walk in the darkness anymore, but walk in the light. And then be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. There's something to the idea here that wisdom is found in God. And I know that's what you expect the pastor to say when you come to church. I mean, I got to be honest with you. Some of the wisest people that I know are godly people. It's not just that you can't have wise people who are ungodly, because I'm sure that you can in this world that we live in, but I believe that there's something to wisdom and godliness. That if wisdom is found in God, that if I want to be wise, I need to be found in God. This is what James chapter 1 says, verse 5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously, to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Now, why would I ask God if I lack wisdom? Because evidently James understood that God is the giver of wisdom. So if I lack wisdom, and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody in the room, you can point fingers at yourself, but if I lack wisdom, then I need to ask God who evidently gives wisdom generously to those who lack wisdom and are asking for it. How simple is that? I mean, we just read about King Solomon. You know what he did? He asked God for wisdom. He said, give me a God-listening heart. You know what Paul said in Ephesians? He said, find out what pleases God, and that's going to help you live not as unwise but as wise. And then James says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. Do you know that in this room right now, there are things floating around? Took a little left right there on you. Just making sure you're with me. There's things floating by you right now. I don't know if you know that, if you can see that. If you turn on your x-ray goggles, you still couldn't see it. But there's there's beams and signals and all kinds of things. And we can receive signals like that with pieces of technology like this does anybody remember things like this now this is a pretty fancy one this is not what my grandma had this is pretty fancy because it's it's shiny and matte and some of us we didn't even use this we just took tinfoil and we just kind of rolled it up in in like this kind of shape kind of sorta and we tried to connect it to make them taller to see did you ever take tinfoil and try to reach it out your window did anybody ever do that I got, a couple, I got a couple hands up because you wanted to see what was on the TV. You know what you're watching on the TV? You're just watching a signal. You're just watching something that's floating through. Now they got all these fancy boxes now. They got all these fancy things and it's flowing through a cord and it's flowing under the ground and it's, all, it's coming through your wall and that's cool in itself too. But I remember when I had to kind of get the right signal. Were you ever watching TV and you would have it and then you'd step away and you'd lose it and then you'd, you'd come back and you'd have it? And then you lose it. And so then you made your younger brother stand there and hold it the whole time the 30-minute TV show was on. You ever do that? Nobody, just me. I'm just the older brother that's mean. You know, but the signals that are floating through the air, this is, you know, this is another little fancy contraption here. You know, it's just, it's wireless. There's nothing hooked up to it. best I can tell, I'm not a magician here. But, you know, it's just, it's sitting by itself and there's nothing hooked up to it. But if I want to do something really cool, That's pretty cool to me. See, I can stop it. Some of y'all think I'm demon-possessed right now, right? So we'll play something godly. You just heard that this morning, right? There's this signal that's floating wirelessly in the air. And you know what this technology is doing? Whether it's something like this or it's something like this, you know what it's doing? It has a piece of hardware in here that receives the signal and turns that signal that you and I can't see floating around in the room, it turns it into something that can be understood, right? It takes, it takes the signal that was floating through the air. I didn't see any of the notes, any of the lyrics floating in between the two. If we were to turn this television on and get it hooked up right, you wouldn't see anything kind of flying through the air and connecting here and coming down here and through the cord into the television, But there's hardware in here, there's technology in here that says I'm going to receive a signal that you can't see and I'm going to transmit it in a way that's a a sight or a sound that makes sense to you. That's not the only things floating around this room. You know what else is floating around this room? We sang about it earlier. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's the wisdom and words of God. And I know sometimes when we read scripture, if you're anything like me, you read it and you put it back down and you go, what? I, what? And so you gotta go back and read it again. And you read it and you go, oh, what? I still don't get it. Because I, I sometimes have to take it and I have to really wrestle with it. The words that God transmitted by way of the Holy Spirit a couple thousand years ago into the hearts and minds of about 44 people so that they could take it and write it down and pass it on. And that eventually I could carry it in my pocket. And anytime I want to, I can go and I can read the words of God. It doesn't just have to be the scripture that I'm listening for. I I can actually listen for the voice of God. And I know that sounds so weird to some of us. And let me just let you off the hook. Because I don't know what the perception is for you about me and hearing from God. I have never heard the audible voice of God. Like I've never like been sitting there like Moses when he's in the desert and like the voice calls out from the burning bush and says, Moses. I've never heard that. I think God knows I would freak out. God's, God's never said it to me that way, but God has spoken to me a lot. His voice is something that as I, as I grow in him, I become more in tune to because I'm listening for his voice. And sometimes it feels like that still small voice that my grandma used to talk about, and it just I hear it on the inside. it's something God is speaking. I hear it in my mind. It's almost loud enough reverberating in me that it feels like it's coming through my ears. Sometimes it happens when we're singing songs together collectively. Sometimes it happens when we're praying. Sometimes it happens when I'm by myself in my car. I'm having a conversation with someone. I, I hear God speaking to me. And I have to figure out how to apply that because wisdom is doing what i know the right thing is to do sometimes god chooses to speak to me through other wise godly people i love to surround myself with people who i know to be wise and godly and sometimes god chooses to speak to me through those people now let me just give you a word of caution Not everybody that says that they have a word from God for you actually has a word from God for you. Here's the filter by which I decide if something is from God. Does it connect to something in my heart that God's already been doing in me? I've never had God say something to me that was completely different than what he was already doing in me. I think God uses other people to speak words of knowledge and words of wisdom. I believe that he uses other people to confirm things in me. And God uses other people sometimes. And so here are some wisdom filters. I don't know what else to call them. But if this year you just say, hey, I just want to have more wisdom. I just want to be wiser. I, I, You know, maybe it's, yeah, it's, you know, it's lose weight and don't spend money over here and save money and spend more time. And, but if wisdom is just doing what's the right thing that I know to do, if that's wisdom, then I just want to be wise. And so here are some filters that I think we can all use just to be more wise in every situation in our life. No matter what the issue is, no matter what situation you find yourself in. I've got five things, and I would encourage you to write these things down or type them out in your phone. We'll post these online later, but here's the five things that I think we can use as wisdom filters this year. Here's the first one. What does the Bible say about this issue? Don't overlook this one. Don't think, man, it's it's an old book and I can't ever figure out what it's saying. The first place that you need to turn when you're trying to determine something and what God might say about it, what God might be thinking about it, is turn to the Bible. If you need to just do one of those Google searches... What does the Bible say about fill in the blank? Then do it. Don't let that be the only search that you make and the only source, but just try to find, is there anything in the Bible that speaks to the situation that I'm going through? That's the first one. What does the Bible say about this? The second one is, what is God saying to me about this issue? Maybe outside of scripture, as I pray, when I'm in services, when someone's speaking, when I'm listening to something, when I'm walking through the woods, when I'm in my car commuting to work or coming home, what is it that I feel like God is saying to me about this issue? What does the Bible say? What does God say? The third one is this. What are the wise people in my life telling me? If you're unsure about something and you've gone to the Bible and you still don't know and you've listened for the voice of God but you still don't know, I would ask some really wise people, Be careful. Not everybody needs to know all of your business. But man, are there some wise people that are in relationship with you that you can go to and say, hey, here's here's what I'm going through. Here's the issue I'm facing. Here's the situation I'm in. And I just need some wisdom here. And here's what I'm thinking. And I just want to know, does this make any sense? Does that sound like something God would want me to do? Does that sound like something God would say to me? Does that sound like what the Bible is actually declaring about this issue? What are the wise people in my life telling me the third the fourth one is this what are the possible consequences if I do this you know we talked about the wisdom and consequence teachers what are the consequences if I do this play out both the good and the bad for both sides of any decision what are the good consequences if I make this decision what are the bad what are the good consequences if I don't make this decision what are the bad if I've gone to scripture and I've listened to God and I've sought wisdom from others I'll just kind of play out the consequences. How's this going to affect me? How is this going to affect others? This may not even be an issue of right or wrong. Maybe it's a wise or unwise thing. So what are the consequences? And here's, here's one that I've begun using a lot. I use it in almost every area of my life. If you've looked at the Bible and you've listened for the voice of God and you've asked wise people and you've weighed out the consequences, here's the fifth one. What would the wisest, godliest person that I know do if they were me? I do this in my leadership. If I'm making a decision and I I don't really know what to do and I've sought wisdom and I've weighed out all the pros and cons, sometimes there comes a moment where I just push back from my desk and I go, who's the wisest, godliest leader that I know? And if they were me, would they do as a husband as a father as a coach who's the wisest godliest person that i know and if they were me what would they do here what does the bible say about this issue what is god saying to me about this issue what are the wise people in my life telling me What are the consequences of this decision? And what would the wisest, godliest person that I know do if they were me? I'm not telling you that every single one of these will work in every situation. And I'm not telling you if you do these things, you'll never make a bad decision and that you'll never regret making a decision. I I don't know. But if wisdom is just doing what I know is right. Just doing that. If that's wisdom, I want to do what's right. I want to be wise. And so when I start 2015, I've got some goals, but I don't know if I just need one goal. Just be wiser this year. Like just do what I know is the right thing to do so maybe I don't have to look at the Bible for what I'm going to wear tomorrow. But for some of us, maybe we do. Just throwing that out there. Maybe I don't have to listen for the voice of God to determine which way I'm going to go to work tomorrow. But maybe I do. Maybe I don't have to seek wisdom from others to determine what I'm going to eat for lunch tomorrow maybe I do maybe I don't have to weigh out the consequences of saying yes to a decision at work tomorrow but maybe I do and maybe I don't have to run it through the filter of what the wisest godliest person that I know would do if they were me based on some decision that I have to make this week but maybe I do just want to be wise. And if I lack wisdom, James tells me that I can just ask God, and he gives it generously. Paul just tells me that I have to figure out what pleases God, and that helps me to live not as unwise, but as wise. And Solomon, when given the choice to ask God of anything that he could have in the entire world including all the money that he could ever want and as long a life as he could ever imagine, that I want a God-discerning heart. What does the Bible say? What is God saying? What do the wise people in my life say? What are the consequences? And what would the wisest, godliest person that I know do if they were me? Let's pray. God, I thank you today that you give wisdom I thank you that we don't have to figure it out on our own. I thank you that we're not left to our own devices to figure out how to live and how to make decisions. I thank you, God, that you give generously to those who lack wisdom and ask for it. I thank you, God, that when we find out what pleases you, we can live not as unwise but as wise. And I thank you, God, that we have the example of Solomon. When given the opportunity to look, to ask for anything, he just asked for a God discerning heart, and you gave it to him. And not only that, you gave him even more. So, God, I pray for every person in this room that you would help us to ask for the right things, to seek out the right things, that we would do what we know is the right thing to do. That that would be wisdom. God, that we would just do what we know to be the right thing to do. God, help us to do that. Help us to look to your word and figure out what the Bible says about the decisions that we're making in our lives, the situations we find ourselves in. God, help us to tune our ears into the the voice of God and listen to what it is that you may be saying to us. Help us to seek godly wisdom from others. Help us to weigh out the consequences of the decisions that we may be making. And if all else fails, help us to find some godly mentors in our lives who are the godliest, wisest people we know so we can think about what they might do if they were us. Let this year be a year that is summed up in one word, wisdom. And let everybody in our lives see our efforts to live wiser lives grounded in you. In Jesus' name we pray.